Thank you, choir. Well, I wasn't going to sing a song. Amen. I didn't want to ruin what y'all have done on this one. Take your Bibles, open them if you would again to Galatians chapter 1. Todd Wilson shares about his graduation back in the year 2000 from the Bethlehem Institute, which is a pastoral training program of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where John Piper was pastor for many years. It was the first graduating class, and there were only five graduating students so the ceremony was held in a cozy restaurant in downtown Minneapolis. Dr. Piper gave the graduation talk. Todd says he'll never forget what Dr. Piper said to that small band of aspiring pastors, those five young men in their early 20s. He began by telling them the impressive story of King Solomon. He related how Solomon was anointed king, blessed by his father David, how he establishes his reign and receives an abundance of both wisdom and wealth, builds the temple and a palace, oversees the ark's return to Jerusalem, and establishes the nation of Israel as a major player in that region of the world. All that takes place in the first 10 chapters of 1 Kings. But then you come to chapter 11, which is where Dr. Piper took the young men. And slowly and deliberately, that wise, older pastor read how Solomon's story ends in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Closing his Bible, Dr. Piper looked at those five young seminary graduates and said brothers finish well finish well oh stay the course and finish well from there he went on to admonish those young men to guard their hearts and to stay true to their god the one who called them in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. For no doubt, Paul, the Apostle Paul, similarly admonished the young converts in the churches in Galatia. I feel certain that before Paul left Galatia, after that first missionary journey, before he and Barnabas left to continue their work, that Paul made it a point to warn the young church not to forsake their first love or to flirt with any other God. 
or any other gospel. Now, surely his plea to those babes in Christ was finish well. Imagine Paul's astonishment a little bit later when Paul gets the news that the Galatians are turning away from the one who called them by his grace and were turning to a different gospel. Paul, along with Barnabas, had established those churches only now to see them abandon the gospel and in the process destroy their faith. So Paul had no choice but to strongly admonish these young believers in the faith. For Christ had taught that the value of a single soul was worth more than all the wealth of the world. The souls of the Galatians were at stake. So Paul, because he felt like he was their spiritual father, he was the one who had been responsible for leading them to faith in Christ. Paul, as their spiritual father, forcefully admonishes them, warns them about what is happening. He warned both the false teachers and those young converts that God has only one message. And I stand before you this morning with a pastor's heart to say to you this morning the same thing that Paul said to the Galatian believers. God has only one gospel, and that is his gospel. And it is the gospel of grace. That's the gospel that must be obeyed. That's the gospel that must be taught. That's the gospel that must be preached. And that's the gospel that much must be heeded. So here's what I want you to take from the message. The true gospel, the gospel of God, teaches us that God saves us as a free gift of unmerited grace. And in response, we live righteous lives. Look, let's look here in these four verses in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. There are two features of Paul's opposition to the destructive uh, heresy of the Judaizers. Those who were teaching these young converts in Galatia that yes, you need Christ, but you also need to be circumcised. You also need to be obedient to the Old Testament laws and certain rituals. So Paul chastises those who desert the gospel. Immediately, Paul turned from glorifying God in verse 5. Look at this. He's glorified. He says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is so full of glory to God. But immediately, he changes the tone of his letter. And from praising God and from glorifying God, Paul goes directly to his point in writing this letter to his concern. And he forcefully warns these believers he chastises them for their apostasy. They were deserting the gospel. The language indicates Paul's utter astonishment that anybody would do what they were doing. And so Paul found himself in a state of dumbfounded shock. Look again what he says there in verses 6 and the first part of verse 7. He says, I'm astonished. I'm shocked. 
I'm perplexed. I can't believe that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then note what he says, not that there is another one. The word deserting there in verse 6 implies the complete transfer of allegiance from one thing to another. It was used of soldiers who would defect and go fight for the other side or of politicians who would transfer to another party. Paul says, I can't believe that you would desert the gospel for another that isn't even a gospel. Can you imagine a Yankees fan wearing a Red Sox cap? Can you imagine a Dallas Cowboy fan wearing the jersey of the Washington Redskins? Friend, that's some serious turning. But Paul says, you turning from the gospel? And turning to another gospel, those others pale in comparison. He cannot believe that this would happen. And their defection threw Paul for a loop. He was deeply hurt because he saw them as his spiritual children and he felt somewhat responsible for their turning. So in his chastisement, we note three truths that accompany apostasy. Look at these. First of all, when you desert the Gospels, you turn from God. Go back to verse 6. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. You see, the Galatians are turning away from God. They were turning from the Christ who gave himself. Go back, look in verse 4. The one who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Paul could not believe that they would turn from the fountain of all grace. To apostatize means to forsake the living God, the person who has loved us enough. We've sung these songs this morning about God's amazing love, his great love for us. To, to apostatize is to forsake the living God, the one who loves us. He loved us enough that he would send his own son to die on a cross to save us, to give us eternal life. For, and, and Paul says, I cannot believe you would go from that. You would desert God and his love and what he's done for you in exchange for a dead idol, a golden calf of our own making. Friend, that's what the Israelites had done. You remember at the base of Mount Sinai? Moses records after the delivery from Egyptian bondage in Exodus chapter 32, verse 8. Moses says, they have turned aside quickly out of the ways recording the words of God. God says, they have turned aside. They have deserted quickly the way that I commanded them. And Paul sees the Galatians repeating the same error that the Israelites had committed. Like Israel, they were quickly deserting the Lord shortly after being delivered from the bondage to sin. Take your Bible and turn over to the Old Testament, to Exodus chapter 32. 
I want you to see this. The parallel here is, is just amazing. In, verse, in chapter 32 of Exodus, begin, look first of all in verses 1 through 4. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, <clears throat> Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters. Bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of of the land of Egypt. Now skip down to verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out... Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying that now they're claiming these idols that they've just made are responsible for delivering them out of Egyptian bondage. Do you know what it is to add anything to the gospel? It's to make an idol. And to say, God, we don't believe that you really did it yourself. We don't believe that you actually delivered us from sin. So we're just going to add something to it and we're going to make our own little gods. And now we're going to claim that those little gods that we've made, whatever that you add to grace, grace and, that becomes your idol, that becomes your little God. And what you're saying is, that's who really delivered me. Paul says he can't believe that they would desert the gospel. Friend, the real tragedy of apostasy is, is, is that we try to improve the gospel only in the end to find that we've abandoned it for an idol made by human hands. Why then, we wonder, would anyone commit apostasy? Why would anyone turn from God and turn to some other gospel? Why would anyone turn from grace to no grace or from the gospel to that which isn't a gospel at all? Paul says... When we desert, the first thing that happens is we turn from God. Secondly, I want you to see, when you desert the gospel, you also turn from grace. Look in the, keep reading in verse 6. He said, I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting him who called you. That's turning from God. And then he, look what he says, who called you in the grace of Christ. So if I'm deserting God, then I'm also deserting God's grace. The grace of Christ is a synonym here for the gospel. Now remember, the Judaizers believed that salvation was Jesus plus the requirements of the Old Testament law. But salvation is not Jesus plus anything. Why? Because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
turning from the gospel of grace, it, can I just put it this way? It's like stepping onto a performance religion treadmill. What do I mean? <clears throat> I use a treadmill to exercise. And I used to love to run before I started having back problems and I couldn't run out on the pavement of the uh, streets any longer. And so I uh, had to start running on a treadmill. But I want to tell you something. I don't enjoy a treadmill as much as I used to uh, run outside because I hate sweating for three miles in 30 minutes and then why look down and see I haven't gone anywhere. Friend, that's what performance-based religion does. You're working, you're running, you're doing all these things, and in the end you find out you hadn't gotten anywhere at all. Works-based religion is a system that gets you nowhere and only leaves you worn out. Worn out because you can't please yourself and worn out because you can't please anybody else either. While religious, but while righteous works, and please, I've, I tried to say this in the first two messages, and I'll say it all throughout this series of messages through the book of Galatians, and that is this, while righteous works certainly matter, they do, but let's put them in their proper order. They don't go before salvation, they come after salvation. We don't work in order to go to heaven. We work because we're going to heaven. That's what Paul wants us to understand. So if you are confused and you're saying, well, Rick, does that mean I can live any way I want to? Is Paul saying, you know, that it's all of grace, it's not of works? No, Paul just says, get it in the right order. Grace, then works. It's not works, then grace. It's grace then works. Paul says when you desert the gospel, you desert grace. Thirdly, when you desert the gospel, you turn to no gospel. Look what he says here. I'm astonished that you are so quickly turning to a different gospel. And then he says, not that there is another one. In other words, there's no other gospel to turn to. There's nowhere else to go. You can't find salvation anywhere else. The false teachers have no gospel. The gospel by its very nature cannot be changed, even slightly, even in the least little bit. You cannot add to or take away from the gospel without the gospel being lost. By adding works, to the gospel of grace, the Judaizers had changed the very DNA of the gospel. And their teaching was different from that gospel that Paul and Barnabas had preached to the Galatians. It was as different as night from day, fire from water, or death from life. And Paul says, I'm astonished. I can't believe you're deserting the gospel and you don't even realize when you add even one little thing to the gospel, he says, you have deserted God, you have deserted grace, and you are turning to no gospel at all. And therefore, there is nothing left for you to be saved by. Now, in a free society, can I just say, people have their right to their religious opinions. But that doesn't guarantee that their ideas are right. 
God does not accept man-made religion as a substitute for faith in Christ, regardless of how well-meaning or sincere someone may be. God has provided just one way, friend, and that is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, I'm going to step on some toes here. But this is a word of warning, not just to teachers and preachers. This is a word of warning to parents and grandparents. When your son or daughter decides that they are going to now pick up some attitude or mindset of the world or lifestyle of the world, and all of a sudden you began to rethink those things that you thought were true, and now you're willing to back off because you don't want to upset your child, you don't want to hurt them in any way. Can I just say, Paul would say, if you add anything to this gospel other than what you first heard, you you and I are just as guilty as those Judaizers, as those false teachers. Paul says, you cannot add anything to the gospel. How do people desert the gospel today? How do we know when we're believing a false gospel? Let me give you two ways. First of all, whenever we make something else besides faith in Christ necessary for salvation, Whenever we make something else besides faith in Christ necessary for salvation. For example, some believe to become a Christian you have to accept Christ and observe the Lord's Supper. Or accept Christ and belong to the church. Or accept Christ and go to confession. Or accept Christ and be baptized. However, there is no and in the gospel. There is faith in what Christ has done plus nothing else. That's what saves. You know, I believe that that's exactly why we read uh, in the crucifixion experience about the thief on the cross. I'm convinced that that's one reason with that, why that's recorded in the scripture because it's a perfect example of what Paul is saying here in Galatians. That day, Jesus said to that thief on the cross today you will be with me in paradise and he had no opportunity whatsoever to come down off that cross and be baptized doesn't mean baptism is not important just means you have to put it in its proper place and you have to put it in its proper priority give it its proper priority Baptism is the first work of righteousness that Jesus commanded after salvation. He said, repent and be baptized. Why? Because baptism is your first testimony, your first witness of what has happened in your life at conversion. 
You go under the water, you die to your old life. You come up out of the water, it's a picture spiritually of what took place in your heart. You were dead in your sins, God buried you, um, and then raised you up. In grace, God raised you up and gave you new life. And baptism is just a picture of that experience. So, we desert the gospel whenever we make something else, anything else, besides faith in Christ necessary for salvation. Number two, we believe a false gospel whenever we assume it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you are a sincere, loving, and good person. Friend, those who believe this wrongly assume, I'm just gonna say, those who believe this second point they're the ones that assume that murderers, child molesters, rapists, racists, bigots, and the like have no chance to enter into heaven. They will not make it. But I have bad news for you if that's what you think. The true gospel is not that God saves all good people. There are no good people. Paul says, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of God's glory. Listen, friend, there are no good people. There are only bad people. And there are bad people who reject Jesus and there are bad people who accept his rescue by faith. So we should not complain that there is only one way to heaven. We should marvel at the fact that there is a way that despite our sins, despite how far down we have fallen into sin, regardless of how bad we have rebelled against God, he in his grace sent his son to save us. Only through Christ, only through him, can we experience saving grace. The Galatians were deserting the true gospel for no gospel at all. A second feature of Paul's opposition to the heresy of the Judaizers is Paul condemns anyone who distorts the gospel. Let's keep reading in verses 7, the latter part of verse 7 through 9. Paul points out three truths concerning the false teachers. First, they were confusing the Galatians. Paul says, there are some who trouble you. That word trouble means to disturb or confuse. The Galatians were confused as their minds tried to reconcile what Paul had shared with them and what they had first believed with these new false doctrines that were being shared with them, that were being taught, and they were confused. They, they were trying to figure out what the truth was, but their minds were confused. Now, behind every false teacher is Satan. And Satan lives to create confusion and to lock people in spiritual bondage. 
He encourages false teachers to creep in subtly like wolves in sheep's clothes. Have you ever noticed that a false teacher never comes in and says, hey, I'm a false teacher. Uh, I've got some errors that I want to teach you. I've got some false doctrines that I want to share with you. No, they come in as if they are telling you truth and then they subtly mislead. They're not always readily recognizable. They may be world-renowned preachers. They may be pop icons. They may be friends at school. They may be people you see at church. They may be family members. Anyone promoting something other than the true gospel, causing people to be confused, is a false teacher. They love to cause confusion. It's what they aim for in their teaching. Second, as to these deceivers, they were changing the gospel. Look in the latter part of verse 7. Paul adds, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. They change or pervert or distort the gospel. That word denotes a radical change. Some have suggested that the better way to render this word is reverse they have reversed the gospel. Jerome said it means to set behind what is in front and putting what is in front behind. That's exactly what the false teachers were doing. They were distorting the gospel by reversing the gospel. Take your Bible, if you will. It may be up here on the screen. But open your Bible. Turn over one book to Ephesians. Look up here on, your, on the screen if you want to just keep your place there in Galatians. Now let's just read what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now notice the order. We are first saved by grace alone. Secondly, what are we saved for? Good works. Good works. Do you know what you're doing when you tell someone who is not a Christian how they ought to act and, uh, the, and by acting in that way that then God will approve them? You're trying to get them to act in a way that only a Christian is able to do. Paul says, you've been saved by grace. You're not saved by your works. Your works follow salvation. Your works demonstrate that conversion has truly taken place. Friend, if a person says, I'm going to do good things to be right with God and earn his grace and be saved, he has reversed the gospel. We do not receive grace after we have worked for salvation. That is a reversal of the gospel. Paul says, you want to reverse the gospel. You want to distort the gospel of Christ. Well, that um, leads to the third thing about these false teachers. Um, they will be cursed by God. Look in verses 8 and 9. Proclaiming the gospel, a false gospel is no small offense. 
Now, I want to say something to every Sunday school teacher and Bible leader in this church as I'm saying to myself here this morning. Remember what James says in James chapter 3, verse 1? Let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing as such you will incur a stricter judgment. Here it is right here. You pay attention. I'm, I'm lovingly admonishing you to pay attention to these two verses that we're about to look at. Look what he says. Paul angrily calls down God's eternal judgment on anyone who espouses a false doctrine, who changes the gospel in any way. Look what he says. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Paul says, even if an angel from heaven were to come preaching another message, that angel should be accursed or eternally condemned. He repeats the threat in verse 9, which shows the gravity of the offense. He, I mean, it just, it's amazing how disturbed Paul is at what has taken place. Now, if you ever wanted teaching from the Word of God to refute the false claims of Mormonism, here it is. These verses refute the claim by Mormons regarding the source of Joseph Smith's teaching. Mormons say the angel Maroney appeared to Joseph Smith and said, the two sticks in Ezekiel 37 refer to the gospel and the book of Mormon. And then instruct Joseph Smith to put on glasses to see another gospel, a further revelation. Not true, Paul says. Let the person... The prophet, the preacher, the priest, or anyone else who says there is another gospel be eternally condemned. I don't know about you, but that puts the fear of God into me. Every time I stand in this pulpit, Every week when I'm preparing messages, that thought ought to enter my mind. And it ought to enter all of our minds when we go to teach a lesson to the children, to the youth, to the young adults, to the adults, the senior adults of this church. There is no other gospel. Friend, the point is, the purity of the gospel takes precedence over the prestige of the person delivering the message. Paul says, if anyone were to preach a different gospel, he would deserve to be eternally cursed. So from these verses, we learn how great 
and how important the gospel is. We dare not change God's gospel in any way. We must preach it and we must teach it faithfully. And we must make sure that the gospel we believe is the true gospel. What does that mean for us today? We must remain faithful to the gospel of grace. Regardless of how often and to what degree it is distorted. Why? Because... Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith by faith salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone friend deserting the gospel is no small matter how many of you remember Bill Buckner, the first baseman for the Boston Red Sox. Buckner is best known for one of the most memorable plays in all of sports history. It was in the 10th inning of the sixth game of the 1986 World Series between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Mets. Up until that game, Bill Buckner was known for being a very good, a very successful baseball player. But on that day, in the 10th inning, Buckner allowed a ball to go between his legs. And that one era led to the Red Sox losing game six and eventually the series to the New York Mets. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with this? Yes, Bill Buckner, he would probably tell you that was the biggest mistake of his life. Forever after, that's what Bill Buckner was remembered by, was that mistake. And it was costly. I would say to you and I this morning, as bad as that was in his mind and in his life, it is nothing compared to the era of letting the gospel slip by you either because you have distorted its teaching or you have believed in another gospel instead. Because the results 
for them. It's over for Bill Buckner. But when you and I make this era, it is never over. And we will never, ever get over it. Paul says, let them be accursed. Eternally condemned who would take the gospel of Christ and turn it into anything else whatsoever. And I hope and pray this morning that you know that God loves you as we've sung. And if you've heard the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart, it's not because God looks down and sees any goodness in you. Or he thinks that you're a little less bad than someone else. It's only by grace. And he says, regardless of where you are, regardless of what you've done, you don't need to do a thing. I've done it all for you. My son died on a cross to wipe away all of your sins. And all you have to do is accept it by faith. And you can receive my gift of eternal life. Friend, that's the gospel. That's the gospel of grace. Let's stand together. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, friend, let me just encourage you this morning. If you're waiting around till your life is, gets better, circumstances change for the better, I want to encourage you this morning, don't do that. That's Satan just letting pride keep you from accepting this free gift that God is waiting to offer you. Would you be willing to say this morning in your heart, Lord, I know that I have sinned. I have done wrong in my life. God, I know I need forgiving forgiveness. This morning, I'm opening up my heart And I'm asking Jesus to come in. To take away all of my sins. Because I believe when he died on that cross, he died for me. Just like he did every other person in this world. And God, because of your love for me and the grace that you have shown me, I am stepping out in faith and trusting that you love me and that Jesus died for me. And so I ask you, forgive me my sins, for Jesus to come and be my Savior and my Lord 
and I commit to live my life for you as a result. Friend, if you've never done that, I encourage you to do it. Salvation doesn't cost a thing. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Would you do that this morning? Would you just say, God, in your grace, save me. I can't save myself. I'm asking you to do for me what I cannot do. Father, I pray that you'll have your way in this time of invitation. May you be honored and glorified. May your people be blessed. For we ask this all in Jesus' name.